You've tuned in to Chaos to the Fly, a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by Greg Newbigin. If you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello, send an email to info at chaostothefly.com or if you'd like to share an experience, send the details to stories at chaostothefly.com and it might be included on future episodes. Now, let's get down to business, shall we? Hello listeners and welcome to the very first episode of Chaos to the Fly. My name is Greg Newbegin. Welcome, thank you for listening. This is of course the first episode of the first season. And each episode will bring you three stories. The first which I like to call edutainment, which is essentially just a little bit of a background or overview of a demon or some folklore from around the world. The second will be a ghost story that I acquire either from the ghost story subreddit or from yourselves. You can submit your own personal ghost stories. There's a couple of ways of doing that. You can send me an email. Stories at Chaos to the Fly is one way of doing that. And the other is, of course, to go to the chaostothefly.com website and click the share your experience button there. Either way, give me as much information as you can. Uh, I will, of course, change names or you can change them for me, whichever way works best. The third section, of course, will be a review of a horror movie, book, TV series, whatever it is I can find. I will try to keep it fairly recent, but, you know, sometimes some of those old classics just come back and uh, realize I haven't seen them or whatnot, and I decide to, uh, to do a review. I am open to suggestions, of course, so if you'd like to make a suggestion about something you think I should review, hit me up at info at chaostothefly.com. Info is just where you can reach out to me to say whatever you'd like. And stories, of course, if we can just keep that to just your personal ghost stories. Or it doesn't even need to be ghost stories. It could be a, a, a alien encounter or anything that you cannot explain is really what I want to touch on with this podcast. And hopefully it will be exciting and fun and educational uh, and just overall a good listen. So that was a very brief overview. If you have not as yet listened to the preview episode, go have a listen. I go into a bit more detail about things there. But as I mentioned there, I don't want to talk way too much at the start of every episode because I would prefer that we get right into it. And if you do want to listen to more stuff, then hang around till the end of the episode. Enjoy. Pazuzu. In the movie The Exorcist, young Reagan McNeil is famously possessed by a demon of supreme evil. It forces the young woman to do and say unspeakable things, and to perform actions that would, for any normal human, be impossible, such as levitation, a full 360 degree rotation of her head and the production and violent expulsion of copious amounts of internal fluids. To those that know the movie and its sequel, the demon is named by the movie's protagonist, Father Philip Lamont, and that demon is the Assyrian demon of wind, Pazuzu. Assyrian mythology comprises part of ancient Mesopotamian religions, that of Sumer, Akkad, Assyria, and Babylonia. Pazuzu, however, does not enter the mythology until later in the timeline, so is not considered a god of Sumerian origin. The son of the Assyrian god of evil, 
Hunby, he clearly has a strong pedigree when it comes to the darkness. Further, his brother was Umbaba the Terrible, a lion-headed, winged creature who was vanquished by Gilgamesh in his mighty epic. Like his brother, Pazuzu is also described as having animal features. Although he has the body of a man, he's often depicted as having either the head of a lion or a dog, the talons of an eagle where his feet should be, a large pair of wings, the tail of a scorpion, as well as a snake-headed penis. Quite the unique combination. Being the god of the southwest winds, he was known in his time for being the bringer of famine and drought in summer, and storms and locusts during the wetter seasons. While aspects of this are clearly evil, he was also known to frighten other entities, and was such invoked and worshipped in order to protect the people against damaging winds, plagues, other demons, and various other forms of bad juju. In particular, he was considered to be the direct nemesis of the evil goddess Lamashtu, who was believed to harm unborn children and infants. In some ways, Pazuzu could be seen as beneficent in this regard. In fact, the amulets and statues that have been found in archaeological digs suggest that Pazuzu was indeed worshipped. Of course, it is likely he was equally feared, which is reflected in the lack of any large statues being discovered, hinting that he was only invoked for specific purposes because only beings that were thought to be useful against misfortune would have their images carved into a protective device. At the time, it was believed that the mere act of carving these deities would invoke them. So Pazuzu's devices were often small, so as to focus the intention, and never large enough to gain his direct interest. Thus, the large statue in the movie The Exorcist was a fake prop made only for the movie. Much later, Judeo-Christian religions seemed to have adopted Pazuzu into their belief structure and assigned him as Lucifer's right-hand man, so to speak. Whether or not this makes him a fallen angel as well is unknown, but it clearly denotes him as a fully evil entity at this time. Other beliefs also suggest that saying his name three times in succession would allow Pazuzu to read the utterer's mind and subsequently appear to grant wishes at great cost. It's unknown if this is related to the original idea behind genies, although of course it should be noted that genies themselves are a direct reference to the Islamic lesser demon, the Jinn. There are several references to modern day invocations of Pazuzu. In one recent report from 2019, the person performing the ritual mentioned that Pazuzu's presence was downright terrifying initially, and that the experience became electrifying once they calmed their nerves. In fact, on this particular website, many of those that claimed to have called upon him found him to be nurturing, although one person did claim to be quite ill the following day. He also apparently likes hugs, too. To be honest, I was hoping for more frightening experiences with the demon that caused Linda Blair to spout so much pea soup, but alas. Of course, there was also the tale of Pazuzu Algarad, a 35-year-old man who was arrested in 2014 and later charged with two counts of murder. A self-confessed Satanist and diagnosed schizophrenic, he changed his name in 2002 in honour of the demon god. A friend of his later suggested that he wanted to become a demon himself, sacrificing animals and drinking human blood in his bedroom. 
After the murders and his subsequent capture, he would end his own life in prison. While not directly related to the demon Pazuzu himself, it is an interesting but sad tale nonetheless. This ghost story came to me from the Ghost Stories subreddit from a user there named Seco4800. Thank you for sharing your story. This is a relatively long one, so buckle up. It is a haunted house story. Here is my story of a very strange experience I went through. Names have been changed just to be courteous and to keep matters private. Let me give you the setting. When all of this happened, I was a young kid of about seven years old. I have a sister who is older than me by a year. I'll call her Jess in this story. We both were being raised by my mother, who I will refer to as mum mostly, because that's what I call her, of course. She began a relationship with her boyfriend at the time, who we'll call Derek. We moved into a house in West Bountiful, Utah. The house sat near a horse farm, which was situated north of the house, away from the road about 50 yards from the back door. The house had two wagon wheels buried into the ground halfway, for decoration, sitting near the street. We had an elderly lady as a neighbour who lived to the east of us, and the next house east was my friend Brian's house. The house was kind of old, but still in good shape. Walking into the front door led you into the living room. The stairs to the right led upstairs, where the bathroom was first on the left, followed by my sister's room to the right, my mum's room on the left, and my room on the right at the end of the hall. Past the living room was a kitchen, that to the left led to the driveway, and to the right led downstairs to another living room. This was adapted into a place where I had my N64 set up on a tiny TV. While going down the stairs, there was a crawl space to the right, next to the furnace. Since I was only seven years old, I can't recall how long we lived in this house before things started becoming strange. But to my mum's and sister's recollection, the first oddities we noticed was that deep into the night, the toilet would flush randomly. I never really noticed this since my room was farthest from the bathroom, but my sister and my mum were both convinced it was me being mischievous. I do remember them asking me if I really needed to pee, but I said I had no idea what they were talking about. Weeks later, the toilet flushing became a common occurrence at night. I heard it happen as I was walking to the bathroom one night, so I turned around and went back to bed, obviously nervous. The next day, Derek said it had to be pressure in the sewer causing our toilets to flush. I took his words strongly, since I thought he knew all about plumbing. But toilet flushing started to become boring, I assume, for after a pause in activity, the faucets in both the bathroom and the kitchen both suddenly began to blast water. The knobs opened up completely. Derek sprang awake at the sound and quickly shut them off. After he turned off the kitchen faucet and was walking back up the stairs, the toilet flushed as he passed by the bathroom. I slept through the ordeal, but my mother says it pissed him off so much he kicked the bathroom door. The faucets joined the toilet in becoming a common plaything at night, and all of us felt pretty uneasy about it. I'm not sure of the order of the next parts in the story, but all of this happened in the span of about a year. About six months of living in the house. One night, my friend Brian came over, and we were playing Smash Brothers on my N64 in the basement. After several matches, he needed to use the bathroom, so he got up and ran up the stairs. I kept playing. 
Soon he came running back down the stairs. I thought he was excited to keep playing, but he stood there next to me, breathing heavily, eyes as wide as dinner plates. He stumbled with his words as he asked if there was something wrong with my bathroom. Before I could say anything, he started frantically explaining that the toilet flushed right before he got to the door, and as he was done and was leaving, the faucet turned on in full power right behind him. I told him that's what happened many times before, but only at night. Brian wanted to be back home after that, and he didn't look back as he looked down the street. I was sad. I was pretty sure at the time that Brian wouldn't want to hang out anymore after the house had scared him. This was, from what I recall, the first time someone from outside the house experienced its oddities. I told my mum about it and she said it was strange that it happened in the daytime. There were times that my sister and I would stay weekends with our dad, every other weekend usually. One of these weekends my mother and Derek were in bed. She can't recall what time of night it was but out of her sleep she could hear soft sobbing of a woman. She lay there half asleep wondering if she'd left the TV on in the living room but the sound wasn't coming from downstairs. It seemed to be coming from the room that they were actually in. The sobbing became more pained and grew louder. Derek bolted awake, thinking my mum was hurt or something, but they both sat there in silence as the sobbing turned into a cry of unimaginable pain, as if the woman was being tortured or something. Derek quickly got dressed, saying that the lady next door might be hurt and might need his help. He ran out the front door and over to the neighbour's house, but by the time he got there, there was no screaming or crying. He slowly walked back towards our house and the crying got louder. There was no mistake it was coming from our house in some way. Derek checked every square inch of the house when he got back. There was no one there but him and my mother. And as soon as it had appeared, it suddenly stopped. My mum says that was one of the hardest nights of sleep in her life. One that I was present for happened about a month after the night of the crying woman. It was, of course, the dead of night. As we were all sleeping in our rooms, suddenly my mum and Derek were awoken by a blinding light, as bright as a lighthouse. My mother and Derek sprang up and tried to find the light switch, but as they flipped it, the light remained. Derek thought a semi-trailer was shining its bright lights through the windows, but as he opened the window, he noticed it was the window facing the horse farm. They had no window facing the streets at all. As soon as he spun back around from looking outside, the light died out. I remember the commotion afterwards. Derek went running all over the house in a panic. He checked the fuse box, grabbed his tools, tore apart the light fixture at 3am, all trying to find an explanation and shouting in frustration the entire time. My mother would stay up late most nights. She loved horror movies and crime shows, so she'd watch them all while we were asleep. It wasn't far from midnight when my mum heard the voices of children giggling. The only light in the house was the TV. She assumed my sister and I were trying to scare her, so she pointed to the stairs and said, Both of you, go to bed now. The giggling continued for a little longer and my mum stood up and marched to the stairs, but no one was there. The giggling was actually getting a little louder. She came up the stairs and opened my sister's room door to find her asleep in bed. She checked my room and found me the same way. After she went down the stairs again, the giggling finally stopped. My mum claims that she sat there and thought about the woman crying before this occurrence and thought that maybe these children had some morbid connection to that woman. She caught the elderly neighbour one morning in her driveway and asked if she knew anything about our house. The lady said she'd lived on that street for half of her life, but had never seen or heard anything bad happen inside the home, just families moving in and out over the years. We never really looked further into this theory. Time passed and we soon referred to our ghostly friends as the kids and the lady. 
The kids loved to play around in mine and my sister's rooms. They'd open and close our closets, slam my sister's hope chest to startle us, and they still loved to play with the toilet at night. Of course, being now eight years old, I had a constant uneasy feeling living in that house. My mother would assure me that our ghosts were a happy family that just needed a place to stay. This didn't settle my fears at all. I'd grown accustomed to having multiple light sources in my room, a lava lamp, two plasma balls, and a fiber optic light, all of them on the headboard of my bed. I needed these on at all times at night to feel comfortable enough to sleep. When they were on, I never had anything happen in the room. My mum and Derek understood I needed them on and never touched them while I slept. But from time to time, I would wake up and find some, if not all, of my lights had been switched off. Not just the power strip they were plugged into, but the little clicky knobs on the wires themselves. I'd usually wake up to pitch darkness late into the night and scramble in fear to get my lights back up and working. One night after turning them all back on, I noticed the closet door, which was closed when I went to sleep, was wide open. But that was all. This next part is rather hard for me. I write this with goosebumps all over me, for I had a very gruesome dream that I could only describe as a horror that no young boy should ever dream of. I was sitting in a room in the house in dress clothes and I was crying. There were loud bangs on the door of the room and a hellish scream echoed through the empty room. I huddled into a corner and screamed. The room went dark with shadow as the door opened. I couldn't see what was in the doorway, but I kept screaming for whatever it was to stay away. Silence fell. For what seemed like an hour, I sat there in the corner staring at the blackness of the doors. Suddenly, people came walking in through the shadows. It was my family. From my mum and dad to my sister and a couple of my cousins. I didn't leave the corner to greet them. They all stood there, staring at me with pale faces and glazed eyes. My sister smiled eerily at me and would take stiff steps towards me. I'd scream and she'd step back and giggle at me. My dad walked up to me, towering over me. As he knelt down to my level, his eyes went from glazed and dull to being a void of darkness with small glints of light for pupils. I cowered in fear, turning my head from him. He then grabbed the top of my head and forced me to stare him in the face and says, you have to say your goodbyes or they'll be lonely in heaven. Jess screamed in a shrieking voice as my dad grabbed me by the ankle and held me upside down. I was equal in height to his face. I could see all of the faces of my relatives at that moment. They all had the same eyes as my dad, but had gaping and bleeding mouths, almost like their jaws were nearly torn off. They all chanted the word heaven over and over as they carried me into a living room where a bed was set up. In the bed was a corpse. It was my sister. Still being held by the ankle, they held me above the corpse of my sister. I still remember every detail of her face. Her skin was olive green and white and was cracking in places. Her eyes were cold, cloudy and lifeless. I stared at her face in shock and disbelief. One of her eyes moved and stared back at me before suddenly she sprang from the bed, wrapped her arms around me and pulled me into the bed. She screamed and shrieked as she wrapped her rotting fingers around my neck and began to choke me. I screamed with my last breath for someone to come to my rescue, but the last moment I saw was my sister placing her thumbs over my eyes and pressing in. I felt the pain of my eyes popping. All I could do was scream. I was suddenly woken by my mother. I was apparently shouting in my sleep and flailing uncontrollably for several minutes before she got me to open my eyes. Not to my surprise, my lights were all off. I could barely see my mum's face as she held my head in her arms. I was in complete shock. I was shaking violently, unable to speak, darting my gaze over every inch of the room looking for the demons that nearly had me. I struggled to grab my mum's arm and started asking where Jess was. At that moment, Jess, who was awoken by the noise, flipped the light on as she walked in. 
Upon seeing her, I broke into a nervous breakdown where I tried to crawl away from her, still choking on absolute terror and unable to scream. I grunted and wheezed at her. Tears were pouring down my face like a waterfall. My mum told Jess to go back to bed. Jess left the room and my mum asked me if I wanted to stay the night with her. I couldn't answer. I was still in shock. She picked me up out of the bed and took me into her room, put me in the spot next to her. She threw blankets over me and tried to get some sleep, but I just lay there shaking like a leaf. The dream played on repeat throughout my head as I trembled. Not even being near my mum made me feel safe at that point. I remember being like that for hours afterward. The exhaustion finally caught up to me and I fell asleep once again. My mother says that when she looked at me in the next morning, she noticed I'd slept through the remainder of the night with my eyes open. I woke up a couple of hours later in a haze. My entire body felt heavy and weak. I made my way downstairs where my mum and sister were, and they asked me what I dreamed about. It all flooded into my head again and I started to cry. It would take several years before I finally told them what the dream was about. My mother called my school and let me stay home that day. She asked if I was hungry, but food was the last thing in my mind. She led me to my room and said I could nap more since it was daytime and that will keep things peaceful. I lay in my bed under the covers and wept. A chill ran through my spine and I, I stopped crying. Listening carefully, I could hear the whisper of a child. I lay there frozen. I slowly pulled the blanket from over my eyes, just in time to witness my closet slowly closing itself. I stared at it quietly for some time before hopping out of the bed and running down to the living room. I didn't tell my mum about the closet or the whispering voice. I knew she'd blame it on the dream I had, so I kept that one secret for a couple of years. My mother now believes me now that I've told her what happened during my experiences. Weeks later, my aunt Dana stayed with us for a week. It was a weekend where we were going to my dad's house. My mum and aunt were alone in the house while Derek was at work. My mum was watching General Hospital, and my aunt was using the shower. My aunt came running down the stairs out of nowhere, pale as a ghost. She asked my mum if she walked into the bathroom a moment ago. My mum said no, of course. My aunt described looking through the foggy shower door, seeing a woman with blonde hair in the bathroom staring at the mirror. My mother had brown hair. She then turned and walked out without making a sound or saying a word. My aunt stared back up at the bathroom and said, there's something wrong with this house. She's not the only one who said those words. I got my friend Brian to stay the night at my house with the promise of late night gaming. He remembered the incident from earlier and asked how it was living in a haunted house. I said it wasn't all that bad, jokingly of course. I didn't tell him about any of my personal stories in fear he might end our friendship over it. That night at about 11pm we switched from games to cartoons. We both fell asleep with the glow of my tiny TV on us. Everything was fine until I was shaken awake by Brian. He was hysterical. He grabbed me and pulled me close and said, I hear them. They giggle at me when I'm sleeping. There's something wrong with this house. I want to go home. Please let me go home. His screaming woke my mum and she ran down the stairs to find Brian hyperventilating. She grabbed his belongings and walked him down the street to his own house after he'd calmed down. She came back and said that Brian's dad didn't want his son to come over just to get scared to death. I don't blame him. He still came over sometimes, but never stayed the night again. He especially avoided the basement from that moment on. There were a couple more parts to this story, but they played out similar to most of the other activity. My mum's relationship with Derek eventually came to an end, and we were packing up to move to a different city. After our belongings were moved, my sister and I walked through the house discussing our creepy experiences. Feeling a little bit brave due to us leaving and never coming back, we had a surge of courage and asked the kids if they liked playing with us was dead silent in the house. My sister and I giggled to each other and said they probably hated playing with us because we were annoying. 
My mum says she felt something a bit different, almost like the house was sad to see us go. However, after two years in the house in West Bountiful, we left. My mum and I still bring up the stories from time to time. We both get goosebumps from the blinding light story, and she's blown away by how terrible my dream was. I recently revisited that dream about a month ago. Not to my choosing, of course. It played out the exact same as that night when I was eight years old. Only this time I woke up calmly and shook it off. It was that repeat dream that I decided to write about what I can only call my ghost story. It saddens me that we didn't do more research into the house to see if there was ever a problem or a tragedy there. I don't live far from there currently, but there is a good chance that the house and many others were demolished in a housing project. Either way, I feel it's best left as it is. A creepy story. I still can't answer as to whether or not I think ghosts really exist. Part of me remains sceptical, while the other half can't deny what we went through in that house. I'm 26 now. I have a deep love for horror movies, probably due to the creepy stuff I saw in the house. Maybe one day I'll try to visit the house again, if it's still around. Kingdom was Netflix's first South Korean series. Not only does it happen to be a political period series, not unlike Game of Thrones, but set in an Asian historical setting, but it's also a zombie series, and it's a pretty good one. It tells the story of the Kingdom of Korea set in the Joseon period, which was around the mid-1500s or thereabouts. The king at this time is gravely ill, and his new wife heavily pregnant with his child. This new wife's family is the ambitious Cho clan, who puts into play a complex scheme intended to depose the crown prince, the son of the king from an earlier marriage, and replace the king with the queen's new baby, provided it's a boy, of course. Now, I don't want to share too much more than this, as it will spoil much of the story, but suffice it to say that a zombie's created, and this leads to the creation of more zombies until the kingdom is somewhat overwhelmed. It's not only the story of political intrigue, but also the story of a country reacting to a new, highly virulent plague, and how it works toward eradicating it. For this reason, I felt it was the perfect series to kick off episode one with, given the current global pandemic. Enjoy! Of course, viewers can watch this in the native Korean with English subtitles, that is, assuming many of you can't speak Korean, or if you have less time to focus, there's also an English dub. The English dub is fine for the most part, but I feel as if the subtitles are more accurate translations, and they are often slightly different to what is said in the English dub. In addition, the voice actors that were chosen are occasionally pretty hammy, which can sometimes reduce the impact of the scene at hand. However, by the same token, this does often add an element of comic relief, so it's not so bad. The Korean actors themselves are very well cast, playing their parts exceptionally well, although this can, of course, conflict with the English dub, so consider yourself warned. I watched this entirely in English, and I can say that I enjoyed the series immensely, so it's not really a major concern. Over the two seasons, the core story plays itself out virtually entirely, enough that it actually could have ended after two seasons, but there is also set up for a third season, one that may focus less on politics and more on the zombies themselves. I'm interested to see where this leads. Overall, there's plenty of gore and horror to be found here, but do keep in mind that there is equal amounts of drama and political intrigue, so if that's not your thing, perhaps you should steer clear. 
Personally, I found Kingdom to be an excellent alternative to a lot of the other zombie series cropping up in my feed recently. They all seem the same. Kingdom is one of a kind and so it comes very much recommended, provided you like period settings, political intrigue, and are not averse to foreign television. Well, that was the first episode, and hopefully you enjoyed it. I specifically chose the topics today for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to make it as exciting as possible for the first episode. So I chose Pazuzu because he's from a really well-known movie, The Exorcist, and he's a fairly well-known demon. You probably have heard of that name. You know, there's other names you would definitely have heard of, but you may have heard of Pazuzu, and I thought it would be interesting to go over, and I think it was. So let me know if you liked it, didn't like it, any other, whatever the case may be. The ghost story that I chose this week, I mainly chose for its length and for the amount of things that happen in the story. I wanted it to be kind of exciting and lots of things happening. Uh, it isn't necessarily the most exciting or scary ghost story that I have got, but I did think it was sort of the most complete, which is why I decided to choose that one. So thank you to Seco4800. And lastly, I chose Kingdom, <laughs> like I said in the review, because of coronavirus that's going around at the moment, keeping us all confined to our homes, and just the fact that this was a zombie movie about people trying to eradicate the disease uh, kind of made me chuckle in a dark kind of way, and I thought that would be the most appropriate for the first episode. Plus, of course, it's a very recent TV series. I think season two only came out in March of this year, I believe. So hmm, if you haven't seen it, I do recommend you go out and check it out. There's only six episodes per season, I think, from memory. Uh, so it's not the longest watch, but it is worthwhile. So a little bit about me. Uh, well, before I get into that, season one is planned to be 15 episodes, and then I'll probably take a two-month break. Uh, I prefer to do so so that I can gather as much information, and I'm not in a massive hurry every week trying to write an episode. That's why I plan to do it that way. So I'll do 15 episodes, take a break, gather my notes, and then do another 15 episodes towards the end of the year, probably starting around September-ish. Anyway, me. I've always loved horror movies. Ever since I was a kid, one of the first... I had a birthday present many years ago where it was a weird birthday present. It was just, for, you know, to make me happy because it was my birthday. It wasn't my, the only present I got. But anyway, I had a weird birthday present years ago where my parents asked me what movie I wanted to watch for my birthday. And I chose The Blob. <laughs> now that movie came out, oh God, a good 20, 25 years ago now. So it's, uh, it shows how old I am. I wasn't even in my teens at the time from memory. And my parents did get that movie and we did watch The Blob and it was very entertaining and I enjoyed it. Uh, one of my oldest memories I have from when I was even younger, and I don't think my parents even know this, my dad stayed up late one night with my uncle, I think, to watch the movie House. And everyone knows that House is a classic horror movie from the 80s. And while they were watching it, I was laying down in the dining room, which was attached to the living room that they were watching it, watching it through the doorway in the dark. And I, oh, from memory, I think I ended up watching the whole movie and it kind of gave me nightmares. I was probably only six or seven at the time. 
great movie. So I've always loved horror. If you want to know what my favorite horror movie series is, it is Hellraiser. I love the Hellraiser series. I don't love all of them, of course, because half of them are shit. My favorites are one to four, and I do include four, although a lot of people don't. Some people stop at two. It really depends. We all have our own different preferences. Why do I like one through four? I think it tells the most complete story. Uh, there are, of course, other bits of the pinhead slash hell mythos that are told in other sections or other movies, later movies. But I think episodes one, two, sorry, movies one, two, three, and four sort of cover off the story that I like most. Now, I do have a review in the future of this season of the Scarlet Gospels, which is the sequel, the direct sequel to the Hellbound Heart, the book that was uh, the first movie uh, written by Clive Barker, of course. I do have that coming up. And let me just tell you, if you are also a fan of the movie Mythos, you may not like the book, but we'll get to that. When it comes to sci-fi horror, my favorite is, of course, the Alien series. I absolutely love them. I always have. I even love Alien 3. I know it is not popular for people to love it, but I was 13, 14 at the time, from memory, and I was so excited about it that I, I bought magazines about it and I read everything about it and everything. Nothing could possibly disappoint me about that movie at the time, so it has a special place in my heart. Of course, Aliens is probably the most exciting, and the first Alien movie is the, the most scary, and the ones that came after we forget were even made. I don't mind Prometheus, but I find that more sci-fi as opposed to horror. And of course, you can't go wrong with Event Horizon. Love Event Horizon. Anyway, that is just a little bit about me that I thought I would share. I will share a little tidbit of information about me in every episode, some sort of secret. And I guess the secret that I shared in this one is the fact that I watched House at six or seven years of age, sitting in the dark in a separate room while my father and my uncle watched it on a bigger TV in a different room. If you have any questions for me that you'd like me to tackle at the end of an episode, let me know. Of course, the web's the email to hit me up at is info at chaos to the fly.com. And that is one word, chaos to the fly. One word, no spaces, no hyphens, nothing like that. Just chaostothefly.com. And of course, there's the website. There's Facebook and Twitter. Will I ever get around to doing an Instagram page? Probably not. On Twitter, I do a lot of retweeting of horror content, uh, as well as talking about the show. So if you like horror content and you want to see more, follow me. I, I only follow, exclusively follow horror content people using that account and I will sort of just pick and choose a couple of things a day to share. So if that's your thing, follow me at chaos to the fly, of course. And of course, Facebook is similar, but I don't, mm, I haven't found pages that I like that I want to reshare on Facebook. We'll get there again, suggestions, please send them through to me. If you've got any recommendations for uh, how you want the show to sound, whether or not you liked it the, the way it was this time, or you think there's something I should change or split up, is the music in the background too loud? Is it too soft? Let me know. Do you think I should have a proper intro to each section telling you that this is the review section, this is this, this is this? 
let me know. I am open to everything. I want to make it the best podcast that it can be. And this is, I wouldn't say it was a quick effort. I have been working towards this over the last three months. So I hope it has been good and enjoyable, but I'd also like it to get better. Anyway, thanks for listening. And I'll be back in exactly one more week with episode two. Chaos to the Fly might mostly be my little project, but it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources, so I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music-making skills, providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at Disco underscore Box on Twitter. And last but not least, thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from Zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Mad Capsules on Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep the spooky conversation going, follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work, flies. <laughs>